Well, good morning. It is good to see you guys here today. And um, if you have a Bible, let's go to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be there in just a moment. If you didn't know, we are one church in two locations. And so uh, we've got a, a Knoxville location that meets uh, in Windsor Square every single week. And, and uh, they uh, stream the sermon into uh, the theater there. And so we're thankful for what God is doing in uh, Knoxville. And if you live in Knoxville, or you know people uh, in Knoxville, I encourage you to send them that direction uh, and join Pastor Taylor and his amazing team. God's doing some great things uh, there. Uh, so as we end a year and we uh, begin to start a brand new year, don't show your hands, but how many of you would, would actually say that you have too much stress, not enough sleep, you tend to rush mealtime, and technology around you is moving faster than you can actually keep up with. Now, chances are, if that's something that you experience today, um, your great-great-grandparents actually were dealing with the same exact feeling. Uh, more than a century ago, experts thought Americans were overworked, stressed out, and it was impacting their health. Uh, in a 2015 magazine arg article from the Smithsonian, Greg Dartery outlines the history of this problem. And he said, uh, experts in the 1800s, the late 1800s, noticed that this American work ethic and this go-getter spirit might have been a form of mental illness. And at the time, psychologists and doctors were calling this illness Americanitis. <laughs> this is actually a real thing. You can, you can Google it. Um, and so what's interesting is, is that the, the psychiatrists and doctors of the time were relating this mentality and this, this way of living to all kinds of health issues. William Sadler at the time said the disease was responsible for high blood pressure, hardening of the arteries, heart attack, nervous exhaustion, and even insanity. <laughs> it wasn't long before Americans had, uh, had spread this beyond the uh, medical journals into everyday vocabulary. And so it became a slang term uh, to really identify the people who were always in a hurry and worried a lot. <laughs> the medicine industry obviously took advantage of this, wanting to make some money. And so soon there was an Americanitis elixir that promised relief to overworked businessmen or nervous and run down women. The elixir obviously included a lot of alcohol and a little chloroform. So I, I found in the research, this was the most helpful statement to kind of grasp the mentality. Uh, one uh, self-help author, uh, his name was Albert Hubbard. He said, this disease or this desire is an intense desire to get there and an awful feeling that you cannot. I think that really kind of sums up even American culture today this overwhelming desire to get there. Where are we going? I don't know yet, but I'm not there now. So I know I gotta keep working and I gotta keep, I gotta keep grasping 
and I got to keep running and I got to keep doing and I got to get kids there and there. Where are we taking our kids? I don't know, but we got to get them there. We just got to stay busy. We got to keep running. We got to keep gunning because we got to get there, but we don't really know where it's going to lead us. I think Americanitis is probably still a problem today. I don't think it's an illness. I think it's a, a way of life that we have adopted, right? We all know what overwork. Uh, we all know what being stressed out and anxious feels like. We know what running around in a big hurry feels like. Because most of us in the room and in Knoxville today are tempted to live this way. And the result is that many of us actually have even crossed over into a state of survival. Some of you would say, I'm in survival mode, man. My life is, is chaos and I am just trying to hold on. If you're in survival mode, here are a few symptoms. Some symptoms of survival mode are you wake up between 3 and 5 a.m. frequently, right? Our body um, has a hormone called cortisol and that's the, the stress hormone. When we're stressed out, that hormone is released in our body. And so in the middle of the night, that's when that hormone is supposed to be at its lowest and, and we can sleep through the night. But when it's high, you're stressed out, tends to wake you up. So it may not be, I gotta use the bathroom, man. It may be stress. <laughs> Another symptom is you don't get excited about anything anymore. You've lost your joy of life. And so nothing really excites you. Christmas was like, eh, whatever. When is it over? When can we get back to normal life? Another symptom is you're tired all the time. Doesn't matter how much you work. It doesn't matter, uh, uh, you know, how much sleep you get. You're just tired all the time. Another symptom is that you begin to lose contact with the people that you love. And so you begin to isolate yourself and withdraw. And then finally, you're overly emotional, perhaps. Sometimes this survival mode makes emotions bubble up really quickly. So when you get, so anger comes really quickly. Frustration comes really quickly. You might even cry more uh, frequently or, or, or quicker than you used to. <clears throat> well, maybe you're not in survival mode. Maybe you wouldn't say that you're living the Americanitis type mentality, but I would think that many of us, if not all of us, if we were honest, would say that the Christmas holidays, the New Year's celebration, it all flew by. We're all swamped. We're tired from so much of the life that we are living. And you might say that you're out of breath, that you're running around, you're in a hurry, you're busy. And most of the time you just feel tired. You feel out, out of breath. And, and I wanna help you in this series, catch your breath. I think the number one thing that I hear probably true for you when you ask someone, how are you doing? The number one answer that we always get is, Busy. How are things? Oh, they're good. They're just really busy. You hear that every time you have a conversation in the hallways at work or wherever we go. We're all busy and we have a million things that we want to do. And then the new year comes and it's like, oh yeah, I got to set some goals and I got to do some, uh, some more things on top of all the other things that I've already committed to. And so I think we need to take a moment to slow down and catch our breath. Most people live their life in a hurry. And if you're not careful, you're gonna rush through every day, every year. And one day you'll wake up and you'll have nothing to actually show for it. And so I want us to 
to really do some drastic things right now uh, in this series and as a church. And it's gonna be some things that you've never done before. But I promise you, if you join, if you jump in, God will take your, your effort and he will use it for your good. He will speak in ways that you haven't heard if you'll do what we talk about in this series. We're gonna look at the word of God. And so if you've got your Bibles in uh, Philippians chapter three, I really wanna spend the next few weeks in Philippians three. So I'm gonna read a, a long you know, section today. You're not gonna get to cover all of it today. Uh, we're gonna take our time through it. I've got several resources that I wanna give to you today. So uh, essentially just wanted to kick the series off today by giving you uh, a little focus here. Paul says in verse 12 of chapter three to the church in Philippi, he says, not that I have already obtained this or already perfect or, or, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So he says, I, 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 I'm not there yet, but I press on to make it my own. Everybody say, press on. Let's say it louder one more time. Press on. We gotta press on, man. You cannot give up. You cannot let down. You cannot just flake out. You can't just isolate. You can't just keep going to the same uh, old habits that just keep you numb to the problems in your life. You've got to wake up. You've got to press on every single one of us. We've got to press on, Paul says. No doubt you get it. That's kind of our problem. When we think about it, all we do is press on. But Paul is saying, keep going. You got to keep going. I thought we were, wait a minute. I thought the whole idea was catch your breath, slow down. <laughs> What he wants us to do is to focus on the right thing. So he's calling us to press on towards the right things. And the problem with our culture and the problem that some of us are, are, are dealing with is we've got all these issues and all these problems. And on top of that, it's just life and it's sin. It's all the relational stuff that we've got. And then we are pressing on to make more money. We are pressing on to build the business. We are pressing on with our kids and running around to make them something that maybe God doesn't want them to be, but we're just pressing on towards that anyway. We're pressing on in all of these areas and we're pressing towards the wrong things. And it's causing emptiness and exhaustion and survival mode. And on and on and on, we could, we could list these things. Americanitis might still be alive in your soul today. We've got to identify the problem. And to do that, what I'm saying is we have to slow down before we can press on any further. We've got to slow down. We need to hear from God. We need to begin to create some habits in our life where we consistently hear from God because if we're just pressing on and busy with the wrong things, all we're gonna do is continue to listen to the same old things that keep us in the same spiral that doesn't get us where God wants us to go, right? So we've gotta slow down to press on. Obviously, we can't stop working. You can't stop being a spouse. You can't stop being a parent, you know? I see things on, on social media, it's like, disappear for three months and you'll come back a totally different person. Well, I mean, maybe if you're 20, you know, or 20, yeah, we all have responsibilities. We can't just disappear, right? We have a life that we've got to live. 
We got to continue to show up. But how do we continue to show up but do this, this idea of, of slowing down in order to, to, to press on. And so what my hope is in this series is that, and, and what I wanna help you do is, is really do a reset and, and refocus, kind of reset and refocus. Now, if you are, you know, my generation or older, one of the things that you've learned with technology, if your iPhone is messed up, if your computer is messing up, step one you know, even when you call the cable company because your cable's not working or your Wi-Fi is not working, the first thing they do is, is tell you to do what? Unplug it and then plug it back in. In other words, turn it off and then turn it back on. And I don't know, 90% of the time, that works. <laughs> you know, it's like, turn your iPhone off, power it off, turn it back on. What if, what if that was kind of the case for, for us spiritually, mentally, emotionally, that we just kind of turned some things off to do a reset, I think it could be helpful. Paul is saying here in verse 12 that he is not perfect. He hasn't reached it yet, but he is pressing on to make it his own. So what is it that he is pressing on towards? That's the question. What is he pressing on? If we can grasp chapter three of Philippians this year, it could change our lives. If you press on towards the things that Paul is teaching us in this one chapter and you were able to create habits that kept you on this pathway, then this year, no doubt, will be a more spiritually rich year for your life. Slow down to press on. Let's go to verse one of chapter three. So he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. First thing I want us to see that he is pressing on towards, right? What is he pressing towards? He says, Discover the joy of knowing Jesus. Discover the joy of knowing Jesus. So what do we have gotta press on towards this year? We've gotta press on towards finding, learning, discovering what it means to have joy in Christ. I think this is huge in Philippians 4, verse four, he tells us again to rejoice in the Lord always. Now, 2023 might've been a very hard year for you. Right? How are we supposed to rejoice in the Lord when your marriage is struggling, right? When, when your son or daughter is far from the Lord, uh, when you have financial problems, you've lost a loved one. This is a tough thing to do when you're sad, to rejoice in the Lord when things aren't going well. But this is common for Christians to miss all the time. I miss it all the time. Some of us aren't pressing towards finding joy in Christ at all. You're pressing on towards success. 
You're pressing on towards happiness and trying to find happiness. You're pressing on towards trying to find a relationship. Like we're pressing on towards all of these things. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Press on towards finding and discovering joy in Christ, experiencing that joy. So what does rejoicing in the Lord actually mean? Here's what it doesn't mean. Rejoicing in the Lord doesn't mean that you put on a fake smile, right? Doesn't mean that you pretend to be happy. In fact, many of you are pursuing happiness instead of joy. And happiness is a feeling. God is not telling you to be happy all the time. That's not what rejoicing means. Happiness is a feeling and God's not saying feel this way. Just like he doesn't say, you know, don't feel anger. He knows we're going to be angry. But what he tells us to do is in your anger, do not sin. God's not telling you to feel a certain way. Uh, Imagine this verse saying, you know, think about the, the idea of being excited. You know, imagine the scripture and Paul commanding us, because this is a command to rejoice in the Lord. Imagine him commanding you to be excited about Jesus. And like we had to act all the time like our favorite football team just scored a touchdown. Can you imagine that was the command? To be excited all the time, I love Jesus, woo You're like walking around like Ric Flair, woo <laughs> Like some of you don't know who he is and kind of dates me, but can you imagine? That's ridiculous. Here's the thing. God is not calling you to feel things. He's calling you to do things. Hear that again. He's not calling you to feel happiness. He's not calling you to feel things. He's calling you to do things. So when you feel things, you're supposed to do things biblically. So when I feel angry, he says, don't sin. When I feel resentful because somebody did something upsetting to me, he tells us to forgive them. He's telling you to do something in the midst of your feeling. And and that's what he's saying here. He's saying, I want you to rejoice, to have joy in Christ. Feelings go away. And I don't know how you feel today. You might be sad. You might feel empty. You may not feel like doing what God wants you to do, but he's not calling you to be happy. Happiness is a feeling, but rejoicing in Christ is a state of mind. It's a state of mind. He's saying, do this no matter how you feel. Rejoice no matter how you feel or what you're going through. Having joy in Christ then is something that we can do. It's an internal place. It's a hope that we have. And this is actually part of the cure for overcoming things like anxiety and depression and emptiness. In fact, the whole letter of Philippians is about finding joy in Christ in the midst of suffering. The church was going through a lot of suffering and persecution at that time. And Paul is helping them find their joy in Christ at all times. And when we can begin to do this, it's the foundation for stability in your life. This is what happens when, when, when you find joy in Christ. You are a more stable person, mentally, emotionally. Your maturity grows because it's, it's not like this roller coaster ride. There's more steadiness 
as you experience the difficulties and challenges in life. And so here's what having joy in Christ looks like. It means that you are thankful. It means that you are grateful. It means that you are worshiping God. It means that you are at home in prayer, speaking to God. So in my worship of God, either corporately or privately at home, I have a prayer life. I have a, a, a worshipful uh, re- relationship with God. It means that I am grateful with and for him. So it means that we're focusing on that, right? And we're, we're actually, here's, here's the thing, saying it out loud. So when we pray, we are thanking God out loud. That's what music is about. It's saying things out loud that we believe in our heart. We are worshiping to God. We are saying what we believe to him. We are thanking him for what he is doing in our life, what he has done, what he is doing, and what we believe he's actually going to do. So here's the question. Are you gonna focus on, are you gonna focus on what you have or what you don't have? Because if you focus on what you don't have, then it's gonna be pretty impossible for you to do what God is telling you to do to find joy in Christ. Because when you focus on what you don't have, you're constantly trying to get there and you don't know where there is. And it's impossible to get there. And so we have to rearrange our focus on what we don't have to what we do have. When we find our joy in Christ, it means that we're focusing on what God has done, the good, the blessings that he is doing. And we keep our eyes on that. And every day we're looking for the blessings of God. And we're always kind of being thankful and pointing back to the moment of salvation in our life and to the other moments in our life where we know he showed up when it didn't seem like he was gonna show up or when things were gonna work out. And we're constantly remembering and we're constantly going back and we're constantly being thankful for the things that he has done in and through our life, being grateful then. It's focusing on what we have, what God has done for us, what God is giving to us today. And that brings a steadiness into your life that actually brings joy into your life, no matter what you're going through. And so if you only focus on what, focus on what you don't have, then you're never gonna find this joy in Christ. Some of you would say, I don't understand what God is doing now. So it's really difficult. There's a lot of trouble going on. This is a problem for me and I can't find joy with this particular problem. Now, let me remind you, he doesn't say find happiness in this season. He's not calling you to feel happy. He is calling you to express joy in God, in Christ. And so if you don't understand what is happening in your life right now, if if you're like, I don't get it, I don't understand what God is doing, then you are in the perfect position to actually build your faith, to actually lean into faith. Remember, it's impossible to please God without faith. We have to have faith to please him. And so when we go through situations that we don't understand, it gives us the opportunity to please God by having faith in him. But listen, If you could understand it, and if you could logically begin to break it down and say, oh, this is why God is doing this, and this is why God is is doing this, and so I get it, it wouldn't require faith. (laughs) It would require zero faith in your life. And so if God is trying 
to get you and me to depend upon him in every area of our life and to stop depending upon ourselves, then obviously he's gonna lead us into situations that we don't understand so that we would lean upon him. Remember that Jesus has called you to die. Following Jesus means that you have died to yourself to find life in him. This is what he's calling us to. Some of you keep resurrecting the old man and letting him run your life instead of daily dying to Christ, for Christ, finding joy in Christ. And so rejoicing in the Lord, summarizing this, again, means our mind is focused on what God has done, what God has promised to do. We're trusting that he's gonna do it, that he is with us. We're trusting that our salvation and future is secure in heaven. And so then that leads us to say things like, well, I have faith that things are gonna work out. I'm verbalizing that to God in my prayer life, to people in my life. I praise God. I come, I'm, I'm in church, I'm praising God. I'm singing the songs, right? In the midst of the problem, I'm gonna walk with the Lord daily. And so I'm in a prayer life with him. I'm in the word of God. Right? I, I, I'm, I'm trusting him in this season. And so that's where your mind, that's where your words need to go this year. We're pursuing, we're pressing on towards finding joy and experiencing the joy of Christ. It doesn't just happen in in one sermon. It's a pursuit. You've got to seek it, right? And if your mind is on Jesus and and the good things that he's doing, then your focus will begin to change over time. Over time, your mind will focus, right? And so when you begin to do this, you begin to experience the hope that he wants you to have. It's hard to do. It's difficult to do in the midst of some of our circumstances, but that's probably why he says in verse two, to guard yourself from lies. Guard yourself from lies, right? In verse two, specifically here, he actually is is saying to look out for dogs. Circle that word, dogs, look out. For dogs, these are people who lie. These are people who teach false things. Now, we don't quite get it in America because in our culture, we love dogs. I mean, you have a pet, you have ornaments of your pet, you have pictures of your pet on your phone, you post pictures about your dogs all the time. You let your dog sleep with you, right? This is what we, we buy our dogs presents for crying out loud uh, for Christmas. We love, we love our pets. Um, uh, in the Jewish culture in the first century, first century, not at all. Disgusting animals, right? Unclean, lowest of the low. So this is a derogatory uh, kind of thing. I was reminded last night, uh, last night, literally, I'm re- you know, prepping for this message and our dog is always by my feet, right? We, we have a, a, a golden doodle and he just always by my feet and just laying around just wants us to pet him all the time. But when he's not by our feet, we know he's up to no good. I don't know what it is, but it's no good. And last night, Micah realized that the dog wasn't in the room. She's like, where's Brutus at? And I'm like, I don't know, where's it? Brutus, where are you at? You know, I start calling him. And sure enough, he's in the trash can in one of the kids' rooms, pigging out on some McDonald's that's about six weeks old, you know? And that's, they're disgusting animals. They really are. Uh, It was a good reminder. Uh, to me last night, like dogs are gross. But anyway, we still love them. But at this time, this is a very derogatory thing that God 
and, and that Paul is trying to get across to us. He says, watch out for these dogs. These are liars. They are evil doers. And so um, when, when he is saying this, he's specifically referring to people that are in the church, right? These are dogs and evildoers in the church that are trying to teach false things, trying to use gossip and slander to divide the church, get us off mission and onto secondary issues that don't mean anything. And, and that would cause the mission of the overall church to make disciples to not flourish, right? Paul says, look out for mutilators of the flesh. These are legalistic Christians that he's dealing with. Um, these are people that will tell you to fall in line with their understanding and their view of how you should live your life, right? Here's a good rule when it comes to legalism, right? Just write this down and go by this. If the Bible says to do something, focus on that because that's gonna require pretty much all your time and leave all the external rules of human tradition that people try to lay on top of you uh, out. Just, just, just don't worry about those. Get the ones that God actually tells us to do in the word of God, because that is all that actually matters. Legalists and false teachers were in the Philippian church, just like they're in the church today. But their specific problem is that back in this time, you had Jewish men who were circumcised, Paul says, on the eighth day. That was kind of the, the tradition. And they did this as a sign, a physical sign, that you were a follower of the God of Abraham, Yahweh. God never intended circumcision to have any value outside of being a sign of their faith and of God's promises. And so at this time, Gentiles, the Greeks, uh, men were not getting circumcised. That was not the tradition of, of the day, uh, of the culture. And so here you have these Jewish Christians in the church who were teaching that these Gentile men who hadn't been circumcised, if they really loved Jesus and they really wanted to follow God, if they really were gonna serve God, then they needed to get circumcised. Now, if you're a grown man in the first century with no anesthesia, that's gonna be a problem for you. Amen? That's gonna be a big deal. You know, some of you took you years to get baptized. Imagine if this was a requirement. <laughs> it ain't gonna happen, Trent. <laughs> so thankfully, Paul comes and clears things up. And God says, look, 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 that's old covenant. That's not a requirement for faith any longer. That was a sign. It's no longer needed, right? And so Paul is teaching the Philippian church to stop listening to the dogs in their church, to stop listening to the false teaching and the legalism that was happening in the church. Now, obviously, circumcision is not an issue in the churches today. We're not arguing about that. But there's a lot of legalism in churches. Some of you grew up in it. Some of you battle it even right now. You grew up in a legalistic home. Some of you ran away from God, um, not really thinking you were running away from God. You were kind of running away from rules, maybe that your parents were, 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 were uh, expecting or giving to you. And, and uh, you kind of realize now that some of that stuff was just all just kind of mixed up lies and, and just misunderstanding. And some of the legalism today, you know, it's silly when you, when I, when I started to write some things down, I just think it's really silly what we do, but how you dress has, be, has become a legalistic thing. What version of the Bible you read, people make a big deal about. Um, people make a big deal about watching movies or listening to secular music. You know, these are, these are legalistic things. It, it's really any human tradition 
that we impose upon people that are not clearly spelled out in the Bible. Right? And so obviously we wanna have wisdom on what we watch and what we listen to and how we dress. There's wisdom in all of this. And all of the decisions and most of the legalism that takes place, it's really just about having wisdom. And maybe legalistic people, maybe their intentions are good for us. They want us to live in holiness and, and those kinds of things, but we don't experience more of Jesus by checking boxes. It's not, it's not about the behavior that we have. It's all about our heart, right? And so we've got to resist and watch out for legalism in the church because it'll make you miserable. It'll make you not want to follow God. It'll make you not understand the gospel because legalism is not, um, following Jesus is not about the rules that you have to follow. It's all about the condition of your heart. Are you submissive to him? But there's false teaching in church all over the place. There's false teaching in churches all over the world that we have to address and we have to be aware of. And, and so, you know, at FC, like this is very near and dear to my heart. Like I know I'm gonna stand before God one day and I'm gonna be held accountable for what I teach and for what I don't teach. And so I think in our culture today, it is even more important that not only do we teach the word of God and, and we actually address the issues that our culture is facing. If you know what apologetics is, Apologetics, we used to think of it as this is how we defend our faith. But really, apologetics is, is really, it's just you and I addressing the cultural issues in our life from a biblical perspective. And so if we don't talk about the issue of abortion in our church, as uncomfortable as it is, you know, like we're, we're not doing the, the necessary steps as a church to help our culture and to help each other. We've got to realize that that an unborn child is in fact a real person. And we've got to teach that biblically and we've got to talk about it. We've got, we've got to recognize that homosexuality is a sin and we've got to be able to stand upon the word of God. Uncomfortable for some, don't want to hurt people's feelings, I get that. But if I don't teach that and if we don't read the scripture that that shows us the, 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 the real questions that our culture is having and struggling with, then we're missing it. So it's not just about teaching false things, it's about avoiding true things. This book from, from Genesis to Revelation is the inspired word of God. That means that, that God inspired human men to write down his words. That's what inspiration means. So this is the word of God. And, and I believe, and we believe that it is without error. It means there's no mistakes. And so if you watch people on social media, they're gonna say, oh, it's got all kinds of errors and it's antiquated and it's been changed a hundred times. And if you're not wise, you'll get sucked into believing the dogs in the world. You gotta be on guard against the dogs that are lying. And when you begin to dive into the claims and, the, and, and study these things, if you would, listen, if you would press on towards, the, towards godliness, then you would, your faith would grow because you'd realize that it's silliness. They don't have an understanding. In fact, they don't even have the spirit of God, so they can't even understand. So there's a lot of false teaching and, and we've gotta be able to address it in God's church uh, when it's fun, when it's not fun. How about this? Sometimes the dog that is lying to you is you. You're lying to yourself. 
So for some of you, in order to pursue this idea of, of, of guarding against dogs, you've got to stop lying to yourself. You've got to quit saying that your life doesn't matter. You've got to quit believing and saying that this isn't going to work out. You've got to stop saying that nobody cares. You've got to stop lying to yourself about not having enough time. I'd love to, I just don't have enough time. That's a lie. You have as much time as I do or anybody else does. We, we do in our day what we want to do. And so that's a lie. We've got to stop lying to ourselves. You've got to stop lying to yourself about your relationship and how it's never going to work out. You've got to stop lying to yourself about who you are. You've got to begin to discover your identity in Christ and, and, and what God has called you to do. And again, that means you've got to press. You've got to press. You've got to seek. You don't just, you, listen, you can't just focus 99.9% .9 of your day and life and week on making money and work and then give God a half a percent on Sunday morning and, and expect that it's all going to come together. It's just not. You've got to press on towards the right things. Stop lying to yourself. Imagine trying to park a car going 70 miles an hour. You couldn't do it. You're going to run into the wall. You're going to, you're going to wreck. That's what some of you try to do every Sunday morning. You try to slow down enough to hear from God, but your mind is still racing. Your mind is still running. And so what we have to do is we've got to do a reset. We got to do a reset. So y'all want to do a reset? Like shake, I'm talking shake things up. Now this is going to be different for everybody in the room. What might be drastic for me might not be drastic for you, okay? So everything is gonna be a little bit different. But the first thing I'm gonna call you to is 21 days of prayer and fasting. So for the next 21 days, as a church, as a family, as a couple, we hold ourselves accountable to this, your small group, right? If you're single and you don't know people here, just do it on your own, find some friends, right? 21 days of prayer and fasting. We actually have a printed calendar for you there's a verse and a prayer on it every day. Now, if you don't have the habit of prayer or reading the Bible, this is for you. One of the things that we do when we try to create habits and goals is that we say, I'm gonna run a, a Boston Marathon. Oh, cool. So how much do you usually run? I don't. So it's like, don't run to like Everest. Like, let's be honest. Give God two minutes a day, 21 days of prayer on this calendar will take you two minutes a day. If you don't spend time with God regularly or pray, that's for you, start with that. It'll take you two minutes. Do it at the same time every day. When you, first thing when you wake up, maybe at lunch every day, maybe the last thing before you go to bed, pick a time, pick a place. So go to that place, read the verse, and then pray that prayer for the next 21 days. See how God actually changes your life through that. Um, the other part of this, so we talk about fasting. A biblical fast is fasting from food. So it's a very, it's a very spiritual thing. We, we deny our flesh food so that we can pursue righteousness with God. All throughout the Bible, Jesus did it. Uh, all, all throughout the Bible, we see men uh, doing this. And so it's a, it's a spiritual discipline. If you've never done it, Maybe go 24 hours without eating, drink lots of water. If you have any kind of medical conditions, make sure you talk to your doctor and research all of this. I don't want anybody falling out on me, right? But that, that might not be for you, but I want, I'm gonna do that. Some of you will do that.
with me, maybe three days, uh, maybe two days. There's a ton of physical benefits. It's like detoxing your body. I think that's part of why God tells us to do it. Uh, but you can research that on your own. If that's too much for you, uh, I want you to do a technology cleanse. That means let's, let's do no uh, social media for 21 days. Just cut it all out. Not like just cut out one, just cut them all out. You know what social media does with your joy in Christ? It's a, it's a robber. It, it, it sucks the joy out of your life and you don't even realize it. Because what does it do? Every time you, every time you pull it up, it's, it, 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 the, the devil gets your eyes focused on what you don't have. Oh, my family's not as good as their family. Oh, they went on the cool vacation, I didn't. Oh, they're having fun, I'm not. Oh, they have stuff, I don't. Gosh, these, these people are smart, I'm not. It just sucks the life out of you. For 21 days, if you, if you just cut it out of your life, all of it, watch and see what God does with your joy. I just, I just challenge you. It'll be one of the greatest things you've ever done. Maybe you'll, maybe you'll go further than that. Maybe, maybe you're not a big social media person. So maybe you need to stop taking your computer home after, after hours because you keep taking it home. Maybe you need to just, just turn the phone off and like go old school, right? And just like use the office phone if you still have one. Maybe you gotta buy one, I don't know. Do something technologically that you just kind of cleanse yourself, um, whatever that means. For some of you, that might be no Xbox. Teenagers in the room, no Xbox for 21 days. Watch and see, young people, how God changes your life by doing that. Might be no Netflix, no TV, something like that. Just kind of cut it all out. So, that, so the point is that you would create space, create some margin in your life that now you have time. We're so busy and we always say, I don't have time. Well, I don't have time to read the Bible. I don't have time to pray. Well, how many hours of Xbox did you play this week, grown man in your 30s? I'll cut you some slack if you're in your 20s, but by the time you get to 30, right? Come on. Like we got to pursue. This is a pursuit. See, the problem is you get lulled into thinking that everything is okay. And the devil will, will lull you to sleep. But right around the corner is crisis. And if your heart is not prepared, it'll wreck you. So we got to reset. 21 days of prayer and fasting. Um, next thing that we've got, lots of resources. Reflect and review. Go on our website, download the Reflect and Review document. I think it's in our app as well. These are just a few questions. If we're gonna do a reset, we gotta think about last year, learn some things from last year, and then we'll begin to think about uh, next year, right? So 21 days of prayer and fasting, reflect and review, and then this is gonna change your life. If you just pray and read the Bible, it'll change your life for 21 days. Just pray and read the Bible. So we've got 21 day prayer guide for you to help you do this. Uh, I've got a how to pray video course that's gonna launch this Wednesday, right? Totally free. So if you're like somebody who wants to take their prayer life to the next level, or if your prayer life is non-existent and you wanna start, it's like seven videos that'll kick off like how to practically do this. So that'll be available to you. Just go to trentstewart.org. You can get that. And then we also have a document for those of you who are like, well, I've already got my, my daily routine of, of reading the Bible. 
What, what if you read the New Testament in 100 days? 100 days to read the New Testament. So we've put together that resource for you. I love to read it in chronological order. And so that's what this resource is. It's 100 days to read the New Testament, right? And so if you've already got that habit, then that's a resource for you. We're gonna create space, 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're gonna fast from technology. We're gonna get stuff out. We're gonna get the junk out of our life so that we can, so that we can have space to do the things that God is calling us to do, to press on, press on, right? We are pressing on towards finding our joy in Christ. And we are being on guard for the dogs in our life. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. God, we worship you today. I pray that as a church, this wouldn't just be, you know, kind of a, a fun, cool concept, but that our people would do it. God, would you give us the courage to drastically change something in our life, to create space for you. And, and, and almost just like in an act of obedience, Lord, that you would just help us to take that step. And so teach and call every single one of us to do something that would create this space for at least 21 days. Change our heart, change our life. Let us find joy in you, Jesus. We pray this in your name, amen, amen. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like this video and leave a comment. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss an upload from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, you can go to our website, foothillschurch.com, or by clicking the link in the description below.